knew about Hinduism was actually at a college group, uh, college, uh, it wasn't Ecclesia on campus at that point, it was just Ecclesia College, and we were meeting over at 23rd and University Park, um, and somebody else was teaching, and I had a bunch of burgers that I had just cooked, and so we we're like handing them out to people who were playing basketball or whatever, and so I had this group of guys, I had so many burgers left, I said, hey, do you guys want any burgers? And they're like, yeah, I was like, come on over. Like, if you want burgers, here's some. If you want to hang out and listen to teaching, that's cool too. And, um, you know, they did the, like, the just super polite thing. So, like, so who are you guys? Oh, okay. Oh, cool, thanks. And then, like, went off. I was like, yeah, that's kind of what I expected. But there was one guy who sat at the table, and he just sat there, and he was looking at me. And I was like, oh, this guy wants to talk. And uh, so I was like, hey, man. I was like, so, um, you know, I, I just want to ask you, but just straight up, uh, what do you think about Jesus? And he goes, oh, man, you know, I, I like him. He's cool. Um, and I said, oh, that's cool. Like, what do you, like, what are your beliefs, if you don't mind me asking? And he said, oh, I actually uh, believe in Buddhism. And I was like, oh, and I, again, like I said, I knew nothing. And so I said, okay. I said, I, I know nothing. So can you tell me, I, I just want to know the end of the story. Like, what happens to you when you die? And he says, oh, you know, you just hope to become a, a ball of light. And I was, that's like, that's it? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, what's the promise that you have that you become a ball of light? And he goes, oh, there's no promise. You just hope that you do become a ball of light. And I was like, okay, cool. I, know, I didn't know how to argue that at all. So... One of the things that I'm excited about is that I get to talk to you guys about this and maybe better equip you to understand what Scripture says um, in comparison to Hinduism and Buddhism, and maybe you won't be left in the dark like I was a long time ago. So, And again, I learned literally all this today, so please show me grace uh, and uh, mercy because I'm going to read you a bunch of stuff that also have a, a ton of terminology that maybe you won't understand, and I'm going to try to explain it the best I can, um, but they are uh, what I believe are important and important to um, these beliefs. So first, we're going to start with Hinduism. So Hinduism is more of a philosophy than a theology for the theological aspects actually are not agreed upon. The word Hinduism comes from the Persian word uh, for the Indus River, which is a river that flows through Pakistan. Um, so it's named after that river. It's practiced primarily in India, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, and Nepal, and approximately 80% of India's population today practice Hinduism. Uh, from what archaeologists have discovered, it, it originated as a polytheistic fertility religion, uh, polytheistic many gods, that centered upon worship of the forces of nature and the use of rituals merging human sexuality with the hope to produce abundant crops. So they were using sex and rituals uh, in hopes that then they could grow better corn. Uh, so that's kind of like where it all kind of started from. Um, and uh, it seems to have started before 1500 BC, but did not become popular in the States here until the 60s. Now, I thought this was kind of cool because I'm a music guy. Um, uh, Hinduism started in America because of the Beatles. The Beatles, woo! Uh, the Beatles went to India 
to uh, learn uh, transcendental meditation. And when they came back to the States, they made it popular because, you know, it's the Beatles. Who, who wants to be cool like the Beatles? Everybody does. So they kind of started this hippie, Hindu, uh, meshing uh, religion, and that's when it became popular in America. Uh, the beliefs in Hinduism, uh, like I said before, there is no agreed-upon authority. There's not really a God. There's not really some scriptures that they, that they go through and everybody agrees upon. Um, it's kind of this, everybody has their own idea. Everybody takes and picks and chooses what they want to listen to, what they want to hear, uh, and who they want to worship. The majority of Hindus believe in, here's a, the first term, uh, Brahma, a formless, abstract, eternal being without any attributes, who was the beginning of all things. You can have one God as a Hindu, you can have many gods as a Hindu, or you can have no God at all. All of those options are fine in Hinduism. Uh, and you may find that to be contradictory, but for Hindus, contradictory ideas are actually welcomed. They're not a problem at all. So if you have a different belief than I do about Hinduism, that's okay. We actually like that. Both of us like that. And we like that there's more to pile on. Uh, and confuse us all. So, um, all reality, contradictory or not, is seen as one. Uh, Hinduism has uh, no one founder and includes many sacred texts, the most ancient being the uh, Vedas, written about 1500 uh, BC. And among the variety of genres include the Vedic texts composed of hymns to gods, descriptions of rituals, and philosophical writings. So, none of these things are any like stories that say how the God started. They're mostly just songs and poems and musings. Uh, although Hinduism contains elements of polytheism, monotheism, and monism, all gods within Hinduism are today considered manifestations of Brahman. That, you know, that it's not, they don't call it a God, but it's this all eternal being. So they, they think that they, it all comes from that. Many Hindus practice devotion to one of three main deities, uh, Brahman, the creator of the cosmos, Vishnu, the preserver of the cosmos, and Shiva, the destroyer of the cosmos. Um, and they have two foundational beliefs, which I think you guys have heard uh, before. But for all Hinduism, uh, two foundational beliefs for all of Hinduism deal with the central idea of moksha, or liberation of the soul from the cycle of perpetual death, rebirth, or reincarnation. Now, those two foundational beliefs are reincarnation and karma. Uh, reincarnation is the belief that the Atman, or the uh, person's uncreated and eternal soul, must repeatedly be recycled into the world in different bodies. In some forms of Hinduism, souls may be reincarnated as animals, plants, or even inanimate objects. Um, you know, I was just thinking how, I was just trying to think of the most absurd thing to be reincarnated as. I was like, oh, an iPhone, that'd be hilarious. But I was also be like, then I'd just be on my phone all the time. I'd be in the same place. Uh, so uh, the belief is that you must live thousands or millions of lives, all of suffering that each Atman, the soul, must endure before reaching moksha, the uh, liberation from suffering and union with the infinite. So that's reincarnation. Now, karma has to do with the law of cause and effect. 
For the Hindu, karma means merit or demerit, which attaches to one's atma or soul according to how one lives one's life. Karma from past lives affect a person's present life, and karma from this life will determine a person's station in the next life. Hindus believe that sin itself is an utter illusion because they believe all material reality is illusory, but yet they strive for the liberation of the soul from suffering. So they, they want the soul to be free from suffering, but yet they still believe that suffering is an illusion. Try to wrap your head around that one. That one's, that one's tough for me. There are three ways in Hinduism in which the path to moksha, or the liberation of the soul, is obtained. That is either through, one, works, two, knowledge, or three, passionate devotion. So uh, they, they, they have to practice one of these three things, and they usually will pick which one they want to do for their life. So if it's in works, they have to... Here's, here's the rules for works. If you're going to uh, obtain liberation of the soul through works, you have to find your occupation meant for this life. You have to find the spouse that you are meant for for this life. You have to eat or not eat certain foods. And most importantly, uh, they have to produce a son who can make a sacrifice to their ancestors and perform other sacrificial and ritual acts. So in order to obtain moksha through works, you have to do all those things. Your job, you got to find your spouse, you got to eat and not eat certain things, and you got to have a kid, a son, who will then perform rituals on your behalf. The second way is through knowledge. Uh, this is through self-renunciation. Uh, meditation of the, on the pantheistic reality of Hinduism, so you have to meditate on what Hinduism is and what it means to you. Uh, this path to moksha is only open to men. Sorry, ladies, you cannot do, you cannot use knowledge to obtain, you know, uh, relief from the soul. Uh, you have to meditate on the focus that this world is an illusion, and you have to practice yoga, which doesn't sound so bad, right? I, I, does anybody here do yoga? Don't be afraid. Yeah, I, I, you did it. Nice work. I love yoga. I feel so relaxed. But you know, one of the things for me is that they will often incorporate uh, Hinduism into yoga. And so sometimes I will have the classes that, where I just watch mine on the TV and do the workouts. Um, but they will sometimes try to incorporate those beliefs into it, and you can kind of see where it comes from. The third way to moksha, or liberation of the soul, is through passionate devotion. Now, this one is the most popular in Hinduism. Uh, you may choose of any of the 330 million gods listed in the ancient, ancient Hindu folk tales of, I hope I don't mispronounce these, Ramayana and Puranas. And when you choose, you have to passionately worship that god. Uh, now, you heard me talk about Vishnu and Shiva. Those are the two most popular gods to worship. Those are the ones who most Hindus will choose, uh, but yet, again, there are 330 million others that they can choose from. Um, now, as far as worshiping the gods, many Hindus will say, when they are talking to a believer, to a Christian, they will say that Jesus was not the Son of God, 
but yet an incarnation of Vishnu. So they believe that Jesus himself was Vishnu. So that is Hinduism in a nutshell. Now, I'm going to move right into Buddhism, but I want you guys to know that Buddhism has its roots founded in Hinduism. Uh, Buddhism is a religion or philosophy founded in the 5th century BC by Siddhartha Gwatman the, bond, the, the Buddha, born a prince of Shakaya clan in northern India. He came onto the scene 520 years before Jesus was born. Uh, Buddha was born a Hindu at birth and accepted much of Hinduism's teachings until he got older. Buddha experienced what we all experience at some point in our life, which is suffering. Uh, now, what's fascinating is that he experiences suffering, and as a Hindu, you have to uh, think of suffering and pain as an illusion, but that didn't sit well with him, and so he went on a quest to find out what was going on. Uh, he went on a quest to find a way to break free from the suffering, and Siddhartha left his wife and his child, uh, traveling across the Magadha, Magadha Kingdom in northeast India and studying under a number of teachers. How to liberate the self from a constant cycle of birth and, uh, and rebirth, or samsara, was his principal question. Like I said, he was experiencing suffering and he wanted to see how he could rid himself of going through reincarnation and attaching bad karma to himself. After six years of wandering, he found his answer and attained enlightenment while meditating under a tree uh, one day while he was on his quest. And while he obtained enlightenment under this tree, he then, be he then came up with a bunch of rules. <clears throat> and he calls this the middle way. The middle way was Buddha's self-described way to salvation. Now, the middle way consists of four noble truths. And then in those four noble truths are eight other points that I'll, I'll kind of lead you down here. But this first truth is that suffering is universal. So he kind of forsakes some of the Hinduistic, I don't know, Hindu <laughs> teachings um, about suffering being an illusion. Uh, and he kind of accepts that suffering is part of it. He says that suffering is universal. Everybody goes through it. The cause of suffering is craving or a selfish desire. The cure for suffering is to overcome ignorance and eliminate that craving. Now, suppressing the craving by following the middle way uh, is, then comes into play the noble eightfold path or the right ways of living. So, in order to obtain enlightenment, in order to overcome suffering, this universal suffering that we all go through, you have to meditate on these things. You have to have uh, the right viewpoint, the right aspiration, the right speech, the right behavior, the right occupation, the right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation. Now, you'll notice that he seemed to have borrowed some of those Hinduistic teachings into what became the middle way. So the Buddha lived uh, the remaining 45 years of his life after his quest, uh, after enlightenment as a wandering ascetic, uh, delivering discourses and gaining followers. Uh, among them was the king in Bimbisera, who became a 
patron and provided generous donations, including a monastery at his capital uh, in Rajagaha, found in what is now the Indian state of Bihar. Uh, again, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing any of these, and you're like, you're an idiot. I know what that. I know how to pronounce that. I, so I'm sorry. Uh, much controversy surrounds the Buddha's birth and his death, or Parinirvana, the reaching of Nirvana. There are sects of Buddhism that uh, now say that Buddha, when he passed away, then became the first ever bodhisattva, a savior to mankind who can be called on by the faithful. Others say that anybody else in the uh, Buddhist community can themselves become the bodhisattva or the savior to all mankind and can be called on by the faithful. Buddha himself said that he was actually only a teacher. He claimed to have found a way to his interpretation of salvation, and he claimed that whoever could follow his eightfold path would eventually reach nirvana, a release from the endless cycle of death and rebirth. So he believed in reincarnation and karma, and he was trying to help people get to the end of that quicker. When Buddha was asked to define the state of nirvana, he replied that he had never actually tried to solve this question. He only knew the way, not what it led to. So, Hinduism and Buddhism in a nutshell right there for you. Sorry if that was a lot of words. Sorry if that confused you. It confuses me still. Um, but here's what it all boils down to, you guys. Hinduism says that there are no absolutes. There are no wrongs, and it's all an illusion. There's no standard there is no base. Christianity says that we live in an absolute world. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Sin is not an illusion. Pain and suffering is not an illusion. There is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Hinduism says that there are 330 million gods, with two of them being in the popular crowd. Scripture says there is one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Hindu believe that God has become incarnate many times in the past, and Christianity says that God became incarnate once, and that's found in John 1.14. Again, Jesus claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. There are no various ways to make it to heaven. It is only through him. Hinduism is made up of different thoughts, poems, and philosophies, yet still without any definition. Christianity follows scripture. Now, if you guys were here last week, I talked about um, Mormonism. And if you guys have missed any of the teachings, by the way, um, all of our podcasts are online. So uh, we did Mormonism last week. We did uh, Catholicism the week before, and then we did the base for Christianity the week before that. So if you guys miss any of those and you want to catch up, uh, you can go on our website or our podcast and listen to those. Um, but I said this last week too, and this is a good scripture. If you guys don't know this one, this is a good one to memorize or write down. Um, and it's 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hinduism and Buddhism say that your karma will determine how you are reincarnated. And if you do it enough, 
you will obtain moksha or nirvana or enlightenment. But it's up to you and your power to do so. And the Bible teaches us that each person is created by God. We'll die one time and then we'll be resurrected once again at the judgment for those who believe in Christ. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And then John 11.25-26 through 26 says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. One of the greatest Hindu leaders was Gandhi. And author Fritz Rittenauer wrote, Gandhi, like other Hindus, could not accept the Christian answer to the problem of sin. Yet he felt a deep hunger for real salvation from sin. He wrote, this is Gandhi, for it is an unbroken torture to me. I have a typo in here. (laughs) For it is an unbroken torture to me that I am still so far from him, who, as I fully know, governs every breath of my life and whose offspring I am. Gandhi knew that there was a God, and he knew that he was so far from him, but he just didn't have the faith. He was not ready to accept who God was and who God was calling him to be. You guys, we were created by a loving God. He gave us, in the beginning, he gave us everything. It was perfect. He loved us so much, he created the perfect world. And we messed it up. We sinned. We brought sin into the world. We brought death into the world. And that sin was deserving of death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Guys, we deserve death. But God lovingly gave us our salvation. We didn't have to earn it. There's no rituals we had to do. We didn't have to meditate for a certain amount of time. Didn't have to pick out the gods we wanted to serve. Didn't have to argue about what we believe. There was no amount of meditation, no amount of knowledge. And it will definitely not be fixed by marrying the right person or having a son. The only way to eternal life is through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you guys know that if you look at every other faith, and this is kind of a spoiler for the next few ones, but I think you guys already know this. If you look at every other faith, that you have to earn your salvation. Jesus is the only way. He is the only one who gives us this gift Freely, God the Father sent his son as a free gift. There is no earning need to be done. You confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart and that's it. You're saved. You will no longer feel the sting of death. And if we had to earn it, we'd all be in trouble, right? God gave us this free gift of his son on the cross and he defeated death so we wouldn't have to because there's no way we could. If you guys don't know Jesus and you guys haven't accepted him into your life as your Lord and Savior, it is the most 
important decision that you guys can do. And if you're maybe at a moment where you've heard this story over and over and over again, and yet you have said, I don't think I'm ready, I encourage you guys, be ready. Make that decision in your life because it's going to change your life. I, we had a guy in the college ministry years ago, and he came week after week after week after week after week. And, you know, just kind of assume this guy knew Jesus because he was so faithful. He'd serve, and he was the nicest guy. And then one day he came up and he said, hey, I want to accept Jesus into my heart. I was like, I was blown away because he felt like he just wasn't ready or wasn't deserving. He had all of these reasons to not do it. And we ended up telling him, man, what's, what's holding you back? Nothing is holding you back. It is a free gift. It is being given to you. You do not have to earn it. You do not have to obtain it. There is nothing you can do but accept it. If you guys have not accepted Jesus in your life, it will radically change your life, and it will allow you the opportunity to dwell with your heavenly Father for all of eternity. There's no works, no special words to say, no special prayer other than confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart.